0: And now, live from StarWorldWideNetworks.com, welcome to Marketing Money Mindset, bringing you interesting true stories on how clever marketing ideas create money opportunities with a conscious mindset producing impact and success together lover of marketing elisa sparks lane from the ellen sparks agency and certified professional photographer and official photographer of the phoenix open everardo kimi share their experiences on how success is so much more than creating cash flow true success comes when you nurture your business body and brain in order to get the most out of your business and in life join the dynamic duo on our journey to success ready Set. Listen. Good
1: morning. Hey, good morning. It feels so weird to record a show after we doubled up on something. I know.
2: Well, you might want to explain. Well, we, we were both on. Va- we were
1: both on vacation, right? right? So we both went away for the Fourth of July. We doubled up on shows before that, and then we were debating. We had so for the people that are listening, we had this big debate, like, do we fake it and say, like, hey, we're recording today? We're like, no, like, we better not, because something big is going to happen, and then we're not talking about it, or it's going to look weird, or it's going to sound weird.
2: It's funny how you said the fake it part, because I think anything that's faked right now is just going to be just a problem
1: later. Not always. Hmm. Fake it till you make it. The whole authentic being
2: now that's yeah, going on. Yeah, but around. I think...
1: I think Sometimes being too authentic sometimes creates issues and creates problems. In definitely itself. in dating. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I've seen that. Yeah. Oh, I have another one. Okay.
1: Yeah. Well, definitely the faking causes more issues on that side, I think, too. For sure. You don't want those kind of surprises. No. No.
2: Okay. So, okay, so today we've got a really interesting show, but I want to get to where have you been? Because you've been, like, it's like, where is Everardo?
1: Yeah. So in the past, it was weird actually going back to my apartment and like, oh, yeah, I live here and I have to do laundry now. Uh, so in the past month and a half, I've been to New Orleans, Hawaii, uh, Pasadena, Paso Robles, Monterey, Sonoma, Reno, Vegas, Flagstaff, Sedona, and that's it for right now.
2: And did you have wine in all these places?
1: Absolutely. I travel with wine. It's uh, part of my studying, really. I mean, my great. test, my, my second sommelier test is coming up, so I need to be studying. You
2: I know, know, Terrell said she met with you, but there was no wine.
1: Well, I'm not on the first meet, you know, Yeah. so but she
2: was impressed.
1: Good. I'm glad yeah. she was a really awesome lady. Um,
2: so frame the message Inc. If you haven't heard of Terrell, please see her. She was at the library yesterday. She's coming back in September, just a phenomenal human being. Talking about authentic. Like she really just put it out there. She just, she's traveling the world, doing what she loves with markers.
1: She's awesome with it too. Yeah. And that's, what's funny is it all revolves around and her and I had a very similar discussion because we both come from that background of you end up doing things that you never expect you just kind of fall into and you're like, Oh, I love this. Oh, and I can make money with it. Okay, cool. Let's do it.
2: She's on our way to Vegas right now.
1: I or- left some of it intact sure. for her. So it should be fun. Yeah.
2: nice.
1: I was only there for one night. I couldn't have done that much damage. <laughs> Where did you stay? Um, just off the strip. Um, I took the pups with me. That was another interesting mm-hmm. thing. So I took, um, I have two little dachshunds and so they went along with the trip. They got to visit some wineries. They both t- t- tasted sparkling wine. Um, loved it. So now I know they're my dogs for sure. Um, but they little, had a blast. Dog like tasting. Yeah, they had a blast visiting the wineries. We had picnics um, in a vineyard one time. We had picnics in a in park in downtown Sonoma. So they're definitely my pups, and they did pretty well. Um, they weren't as hip on the Vegas thing, but you know. Yeah. I guess they didn't like all the glitter and strip clubs or whatever. So you know.
2: Gotta hang. Yeah. Just gotta go with it. Sweet.
1: So they'll adapt.
2: So we have some amazing people today. Um, I'm just going to go right to it because there's just like so much love in this room. It's amazing. Before I lose my voice. So all right. So Elizabeth Singleton, I met five years ago, six years ago, Mm -hmm. maybe even more. And we did an event together. And it's funny, I got her bio last night, early this morning. And some of the stuff that I read um, really reminded me about what an amazing person you are. And I usually don't even read people's bio, but there was a couple of things that really stood out. So Elizabeth became frustrated with the lack of access to mental health services and resources around the deep budget cut in 2010 to those that weren't receiving the service. She began saving money and asking friends and family to help her create a new outlet to be the voice of our community. Having personally experienced homelessness, Elizabeth has dedicated her life to helping those who are affected by mental illness and homelessness? In February of 2009, Elizabeth opened her first supportive independent apartment community for those living with mental illness and other forms of disabilities. With only $500 in the bank, so that just blew my mind. Like it's it's making me lose my voice even. Um, <clears throat> today, Elizabeth has helped more pol- move policy changes, housing, and is an advocate per thousand individuals living in our community with mental or physical disabilities. Along leading her organization, Elizabeth's a mother, a friend, and a concerned community advocate. And I want to thank her To I mean, she, she accepted the invitation and I know she's busy. And um, it was funny because I think she forgot about it until I called her, which I totally understand. But no, she also no, no. has an amazing thing coming up and, and I'm fascinated by this whole new community of tiny houses. So when I saw that come up on, on LinkedIn, I was like, all right, you've got to come on the show right now. So what is happening in September and how you been?
3: Well, thank you for that uh, introduction. And I am going to say hi to everyone here and it's good to see you. <laughs> so, um, well, in September, we actually have a fundraiser event um, that will be showcasing some of our tiny house projects. Um, we're building currently some, uh, a few sites for tiny homes for veterans. Um, we have two sites that were dedicated uh, by the Foothills Association um, community organization um, directly dedicated to serve uh, and house veterans, homeless veterans. So our September uh, 19th event is a fundraiser, a community fundraiser um, to raise awareness uh, about our project and also to raise money for a 22-unit um, tiny house community um, that we are currently, again, uh, raising money for um, that hopefully we'll have built in 2018.
1: That's wow. so awesome. How did this all come about? What was the inspiration for it or what really started you with it?
3: Well, um, I've always been in housing. I mean, been in housing for the last 15 years, um, whether as a consultant uh, for supportive group homes or facilities and um, working and in housing individuals ourselves in different type of programs. Uh, It really hit me that we needed to really start looking at different options of affordable housing when um, I believe it's 2014 2015 they start closing down the men's overflow shelter down at Cass uh, which is central Arizona sheltering system and they were closing uh, an overflow shelter that housed about 500 to 600 men and women at night um, and they opened that during the heat, uh, when we had some high heats, we had 31 individuals who died and they were secretly closing it out, uh, without finding replacements or any type of alternatives for those, for those individuals. And I remember I was downtown with my daughter and we were doing some volunteer work. And, um, she said later on, mom, why don't we like build them tiny houses <laughs> or find some other options? And I was like, you know, yeah. That's because we all we were doing was moving them from one little, um, you know, area where it was a parking lot and a broken down building till now where they were just sleeping on grass and in in kitchen areas to house the individuals. And we really wasn't focusing on the real issue, which is Arizona has a housing, affordable housing problem. We have a one about a one to two percent vacancy rate with a need for 145,000 affordable housing units. So we weren't really focusing on, you know, if we're going to focus on ending homelessness, we have to unclog the system, which is affordability. The tiny house communities bought about an easier way, uh, um, a a more quicker, affordable way to build affordable housing, but create a sense of community um, where individuals could thrive knowing their neighbors we created a atmosphere of sustainability so they're also able to um what i found out when in doing these projects i would go to a a veteran's home or i would go to someone who's mentally ill and i would say what is the issue what's the problem why aren't you staying housed and and what's the circumstance and we go in their house they would have no furniture they would have no food and their lights wouldn't be on so that wasn't a way to stay housed and we were like so if we build affordable housing we also have to look at Sustainability. Mm-hmm. We have to look out. How do they sustain themselves? How they feed themselves? The electricity. So we, working with ASU and Greenlight Solutions, we built that all into the tiny houses.
1: That's that amazing. I love the power of children's minds and how they remind adults to just think simply. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, mom, why don't we just build them little houses?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Sense. <laughs> I mean, it's a it's a a movement that people think is for the hippies, or they think it's for people who are poor, but it is actually people living, and within their means and it's more about connecting with the community. Like we no longer see our neighbors. We just, you know, if you see how houses are being built today, we have a big garage, a little front stoop that we go in, we drive into our garage, we go in the back of the house, we never see our neighbors again. So you never know that your neighbor, Tom, is now homeless, he's at the Circle K, because you don't get to know your neighbors and that's how we used to take care of. That was the welfare back then. We all were nosy, everyone knew who was who, And when someone was falling down, we were there to help them as a community itself. So that's what the tiny house creates for not just the veterans, but for those who are homeless. And it also creates a more easier, affordable model to
2: build quickly.
1: That's awesome.
2: So how do people get involved? Because I know we're going to talk about why and how a lot today. Because a lot of the people in in today's room is just, they're doing amazing things and we want to know why. But we also want to know how do we get involved? So what's the easiest way to... (laughs) Well, it's it's a little crazy right now because we just got through all of
3: our permits to start building. Um, But the best way to help right now is to be able to volunteer for some of our community builds and also um, coming up with um, easier ways for us to create uh, donation opportunities and fundraiser opportunities. Joining us, we have a tiny house giveaway right now where you can get you can enter to win. A uh, hundred thousand, uh, tiny house that's worth $100,000. And you can find that information on our website at. Wait, do I get to keep it? You get to keep it if you win it. Yes, it okay, is. It's wait, a beautiful. Website, tiny, yeah. it's, all excited. It's, a, it's a beautiful tiny house uh, made uh, by Unch- <laughs> Uncharted uh, Tiny Homes, who's been featured all over uh, HGTV and all kinds of other news outlets. Um, for the work that they do. So you can definitely find and start and look at some of the events that we have going on with the fundraisers and the tiny house giveaway on our website at buildushope.org. And uh, I'll definitely uh, give you that information so you'll be able to provide it to your uh, listeners.
2: And we'll put it on the, on the website yeah. as well as um, our group page. Yeah. And share that. And maybe when we get the house, we'll just put it in front of the Star Worldwide. <laughs> if you get the Network house, let building. me
3: definitely use it sometime. because <laughs> Everyone can use it. It's a, it's a beautiful it. home.
4: <laughs> we'll
2: just rent it out and then give back the money. <laughs> oh, you'd be amazed
3: that people are doing that now. That's the new B&B to Airbnb. So it's well, they do it for
1: cars now, too. Like, I actually rent my car out through Turo. And really? so you can rent someone else's car when it's not being used. Wow. Brilliant. Um, That's interesting. Yeah, you know, so kind of same thing. Like, why not? I mean, there was a guy when the Tesla first came out, he Airbnb'd his Tesla. Like you could sleep in the Tesla for the night. I saw
5: wow.
2: that. So wow. how does the insurance cover that? Is that?
1: Uh, so it's covered through the app. And then, you know, there's different levels of payment. So if you want more insurance coverage or more coverage so in so case something like happens to your car. car yeah. Kind of like you're
3: renting well, a car. Well, and the
1: advantage is, is for someone who doesn't either have a credit card or is under 25 or is just sick and tired of all the stupid rental fees, right? Like hotels just being in Vegas, they advertise a rate of a hundred dollars a night, but there's the mandatory resort fee for $50 a night. Yeah. Or
3: Chicago, when you go in there, you can't park anywhere unless you're paying about seventy-five to a hundred a day. Right, so, yeah. and so they
1: don't disclose those fees, and no. same with the rental car companies. They'll advertise saying you can rent a car for thirty dollars a day. Oh, but there's also thirty dollars of airport fee, tax fee, tax on tax fee, the tourism fee, the you want to be a tourist, you might ever sometime want to be a tourist fee, all those kind of weird things. So it's
2: a good reason to drink.
1: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Well, so going along with a nonprofit, like that, must have been extremely difficult to, to build that up, right? An Immense amount of resources. You were already involved with housing, but was it new? And how was it like building this?
3: Yeah, it was. A, I, I had a life change in my career um, that I, I, that caused me to look at housing in a different way, and that we need to more, you know, we need to develop. Um, Instead of we were renting mass apartments, we'd rent out a whole complex and put people in there. And we said, you know, we we need to be more of the controller of this. But so we took off about two years to just travel around and um, look at different type of options of housing from container homes to the tiny houses and how to build the tiny houses and where could we find partnership in doing that so it has been a long road and working with ASU and Greenlight Solutions uh, which provides sustainability and then also the engineering components has been wonderful um, but it's the city has been very difficult <laughs> and and getting through permits. I mean, we even when we get something passed, they're coming back and say, Oh my god, we made a mistake, don't use that, you know, because they're really cautious about, you know, this is new for them and they haven't seen something this small in about since 1960 is what they're saying. So we're kind of like they're, you know, guinea pigs and testing this out. So it's, you know, it that's probably the most frustration, you know, that frustrating that it has I've had to deal with because it's always something different Uh, but they're wonderful I you know I I give them props or even you know going through this as as much as I have gone through it and I've I've walked out with tears and say oh my god you people are nuts (laughs) so that's probably been the hardest um and and finding this and then you know it's not really I and every type when I create different type of models of housing you experience a you know, when you're doing anything that helps people in low income environments you deal with a not in my backyard type of environment but really have not experienced that at all actually good it's really been welcomed by many people
1: well I imagine that takes a lot of your resources and diverts them somewhere else when you're dealing with something like that um, you know another guest we have on the show today is Jarrett Ransom so Jarrett's with the Raven group and her specialty is and and, and aside from being just a a, a badass chick who <laughs> Thank you. I kind appreciate of that. yeah like <laughs> she kind of I don't know if it's like rags to riches, but one of those things where like single mom, like, all right, I, you'll sink or swim. Like, let me just take over, let me be an inspiration. I'm either gonna be an inspiration or I'm gonna be a detractor and I'm gonna be a negative Nelly in the backside. But yeah, you started the Raven Group <laughs> to essentially help nonprofits build, yeah. right?
5: Yeah, and in fact, just like you started the show, I if you had told me I would have gotten paid as a career to drink coffee with people and meet people for lunch, I would think you're crazy, right? So I actually started the Raven Group in 2009. I was a reduction in force, i.e. I was fired, right? I was let go from my job in 2009. The economy crashed, of course, at that time. And I curled up in the fetal position for a week, maybe longer. I drank... too much. And I (laughs) ate a lot of pizza.
2: (laughs) We have to get a wine sponsor.
5: (laughs) So that's, that was kind of my life. And uh, I curled up in the fetal position, cried a lot of tears as well, and uh, didn't really know what I was going to do. And it dawned on me when I was getting my master's degree, one of my professors said to me, to the entire class, actually, but it just clicked that day. And what he said was, now that you have your master's degree, you are never unemployed. You merely become self-employed. That was my aha moment. I went to the Arizona Corporation Commission, filed my LLC for the Raven Group. I actually took my severance pay, flew to Uganda to work with a client wow. in Uganda, and solidified my first contract in the Phoenix airport before I flew out.
1: That's fantastic.
5: <laughs> so it was, it was phenomenal. Uh, Uganda was phenomenal as well. So I know that we share a lot of common interest in travel. And so that's been a lot of fun but definitely rags to riches you know it's like okay sink or swim you're either gonna do it or you're not so was this while being a single mom no so tanner my son was born in 2010 so just uh briefly before and of course you know as we know life is a roller coaster you have your high moments you have your low moments and um definitely you know he gives me that shift of focus a little bit more responsibility i can't just pick up and go to uganda anymore but I do often pick up and go places. So I haven't been as many places as Everado this summer, I don't think. But um, I've got a bucket list.
2: Yeah. And does he travel with you now? And does sometimes, he sometimes does yeah. he get the concept of the business and what you've you've created?
5: He, he does. So proud moment, right? I, I like to ask him, so what is what does your mom do? You know, tell me what, what it is I do. And he thinks a little while and he goes, um, and he's seven, by the way, he'll be seven in August. And he says, Well, you help people that don't have money. Bingo, right? Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Out of the mouths of babes. There there it is.
2: So So you've made an impression on them.
5: Yeah, and we, you know, we often help the homeless um, as well. So we are notorious for handing out whatever's left in his lunchbox after school uh, we were going trick or treating one day, and he saw this man. And this was before he could read, and he said, "Mom, what does that sign say?" So I paraphrased it for him, <laughs> and um, and I was like, "Well, we don't have any food." I said, "But I have a dollar. Would you like to give the man a dollar?" And he says, "Yes, please." And I always make sure that he's the one to give the gift of you know whether food or money to the individual that's asking because I really believe that's his connection. Plus it's another level of dignity to the individuals that are asking. Mm-hmm. And for me, you know, it shows this is not a demographic to be afraid of. They're human beings and they're here they're to me, they're not homeless, right? Earth is their home and we're all here together. So that's that's one thing I, I definitely try to instill in my son. Wow. So
1: how is it involved with the Raven Group and how has it I meant evolved into you know, everyone has this idea that I want to help. I want to volunteer. Right. I want to do things, but they don't know how to do it. Right? right. That's Maya. We had a guest on the show recently who, you know, it was kind of a frustrating conversation. Sometimes you'd go to someone, you're like, how do I do it? And a lot of times people would say, we well, just do it. Well, I know, and- but I need handholding. Like, how do yeah. I actually write grants? How do I do all this? Yeah. And
2: before you answer that, I'm going to take a break. Sure. But that is definitely one of the questions because I think we've had that conversation and we it was have. very informative and also about nonprofits and the length that it takes to actually create one properly. Absolutely. So we'll be right back with that. Great,
4: thanks. What's wrong with the world, Mama? People living like they ain't got no mama. I think the whole world's addicted to the drama, only attracted to things that bring the trauma. Overseas, yeah, we trying to stop terrorism, but we still got terrorists here living in the Say The Big CIA, the blood of the Crips and the KKK. But if you only have love for your own race, then you only leave space to discriminate. And to discriminate only generates hate. And when you hate, then you're bound to get outrated.
5: Are you ready for swimsuit season? Let's face it. We all have those pesky areas that are stubborn to diet and exercise. We have just the solution for you. Introducing the FDA-approved UltraShape Power for powerful fat burning. The UltraShape Power is body contouring at its best at 32% fat reduction. The strongest and most effective body contouring device on the market. Painless. No downtime. And you can see the results in as little as two weeks. Call LifeScape Premier to schedule your free consultation with Noel, their very own certified laser specialist and national trainer. Call 480-860-5500 or visit www.lifescapepremier.com to learn more.
0: Too busy to cook? Don't want a grocery shop? Take back your life. Let Witnessing Nature in Food provide you and your family with eco-conscious, organic, tasty, nutritious meals. Headed by internationally trained chef Jennifer Johnson, you will enjoy the healthful food your body craves. Choose from meal prep, meal plans, catering, or cooking class services. Just go to witnessingnature.net. Witnessingnature.net. It's what's in the food that matters. Eat organic. Witnessing Nature in everything.
4: This is what you demonstrate, and that's exactly how anger works and operates Man, you gotta have love, to to set it straight Take control of your mind and meditate, let your soul gravitate to the love, y'all, y'all People killing, people dying, children hurt and you hear them crying And you practice what you preach, and what you turn the other cheek Father, Father, Father
2: All right, okay. so if you're listening, you may want to jump on the group page because there is a great photo of Everardo and what he does during the break, Okay. which you just <laughs> sent me. So, all right, so we're back to the nonprofit and the whole grant arena. Yes. so, so Educate you want, us. Yeah. Okay. so How do we do it?
5: Oh, gosh. How, how long is this segment again? Yeah, oh, <laughs> <got>
4: two minutes.
5: <laughs> okay, so... You know, in fact, today, someone posted on LinkedIn, and I'm not sure um, whose page it was. I think Elizabeth was connected, too. But there was this gentleman that once he has this great idea to serve veterans, and it was actually for career connections, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, that was Ryan. And this this happens constantly. And so as soon as I saw it, I tech, I wrote back and I said, you know, phenomenal idea let's see what already exists by way of organizations that exist and Mm -hmm. you can create a program, but not another nonprofit. So as we create nonprofits, we're creating another business. It's
2: truly another business. Um, So, and it's a little bit more difficult than just another business because you've got three years in the making that most people just don't even.
5: Well, that's for businesses as well, but funders. So what you're referring to is the grants, right? And so we have a lot of potential clients that come to me and say, oh, we need help with fundraising. We need program money. And I'm like, okay, great. When were you established, right? Mm-hmm. Because the three-year mark is the magic year. Funders, investors, they want to see that you have sustained yourself on your own financial capital for the first three years so that you're not going anywhere.
2: Well, and when I learned that about you, I actually met with someone who had a nonprofit and the day before she was dissolving it. And I'm like, why? She's like, well, it's not working the way I want. The, the board, you know, everything. And I'm like, how long have you had it? She's like, six years. I almost cried. I'm like, yeah. wait, there may be something to do, right? And, and I may just connect you with her, yes, but it happy may to talk. be something that actually can be recreated, or someone else can take it on.
5: Exactly, and I'm always happy to talk. The Raven Group, uh, when I started in 2009, the group consisted of me, myself, and I. Um, <laughs> right.
4: <a> great
1: team. <laughs> See, that's when faking works okay. <laughs>
5: That's not faking. She actually said
4: it. Yeah, that's that's true.
5: You should have heard the conversations. So now now there's five of us, right? So I'm really excited. I have a team of five. Um, Two of the five of us are certified fundraising executives, which is the highest level of fundraising you can obtain, truly. And then all of us have a master's degree in, in some type of field. Mine is business, as I shared about my professor. So... We always provide at least 30 minute free consultations, phone conversations. So if someone that you know is interested and has some questions, we love for our brains to be picked. Um, I was constantly going, as I said earlier, you know, coffees and lunches. So now it's like, okay, I have to find a way to monetize this or I'm going to drink coffee and eat lunch. All day long,
3: <laughs> mm. yeah, so you have to watch that market as well because totally, and because um, it's the new office, it's so much money that goes out right. to the new person. I, I'm a funder, and mm-hmm. you know, I'm a grant writer, and you waste a lot as a nonprofit myself. You know, um, I actually worked with her, and, and she she did a very good when when um, when she was starting this part of her company. Um, gave me excellent advice but we always like okay we're going to take advice and then we go off and we don't truly use it and I'm come from a business model that you just you do it you figure it out you do the best you can and and we don't ask for anything we just negotiate everything to now you're asking for people to donate funds and you're you're in a total different arena and Asking was a difficult thing for me to do, was to ask for the what I needed. But if I didn't, I couldn't survive. But then also getting a good professional that would actually be able to help me um do my funding goals, or get my nonprofit started, or however you go like that. So it's very important. Nonprofits don't think you can't spend the money because do it; it's worth. <laughs>
5: do absolutely right. I mean, what's what's the phrase? You get what you pay for. Exactly <laughs> right. Yeah, and you do. have to spend money to make money. Um, so the Raven Group again, like we're comprised of five extremely professional fundraisers, and we work on strategic plans for nonprofits. We provide coaching plans, so those are customized times to really talk through a certain challenge for an organization whether it's grant writing, overall fundraising, event planning, creating, you know, your superb board of directors cuz you want to make sure that everyone that's at the table is pulling their weight and doing what they can can do to help, you know, impact the community. And so, they can actually fire you. Yes. Love that part. Yeah. <laughs> love love and hate, right? So, yes, the board of directors is actually the boss, the 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 team of the executive director. So even if you found your nonprofit, you are the founder, you can not essentially be fired from your own nonprofit. And it's happened. We know, yeah. we know people <laughs> that it's happened yeah. to. We but that's like in any out.
1: organization. Like sometimes sure. you should be. Sometimes you are great at one particular aspect and you're not for others. Um, you know, there's Uber, right? He was a good founder as far as creating Uber. He's just a horrible boss, right? So go back to doing what you do awesome. Right. And go from there. I mean, there's a lot of those stories, right? Right. So a- sometimes you should be, and it's okay. Yeah. To, and actually that's kind of a thing that Elisa and I have talked many, many times over is it's okay to fire yourself.
2: You're fired. Right?
1: Like Elisa hates bookkeeping. I fire myself all so the time. So she fires herself from that. Right? right. I don't like certain aspects of my business. So it's like, okay, I can get someone else that's better at it, more passionate about it, is likes doing it. And in fact, that frees up my time to go do something else. True. Right?
5: And that's actually how I built the Raven group. So I hand selected These professionals, and I said, you know, two questions. What do you love to do? And what are you great at doing? Because that's what I want you to do on my team, right? And I want to do the exact same thing for myself. I want to do what I love to do, and I want to do what I'm great at doing. Because once I'm not in alignment with that, right, I'm not doing my best job. No, and it's (laughs) funny, like, whenever
1: you mention SWOT analysis to people, they either stare at you funny or like, oh, that's silly. Why do I do that thing? And then others are like, oh, yeah, let's jump right on this. Same thing. Let's find my strengths, let's find my weaknesses, and just Outsource that or start working on something more that I like.
5: Absolutely. And, we, you know, we talk about nonprofits. The community is certainly saturated. The last I checked, there was, uh, Elizabeth might know, but 26,000 nonprofits in Arizona alone. Arizona, right? So times 50 plus the world. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of nonprofits.
1: Well, you're all fighting for that dollar because all these corporations mm-hmm. want to give away money. Individuals want to give away money. Corporations want to give away money. They just want to make sure it's going to the right spot.
2: I think it goes back Absolutely. to that Why? I think knowing that why and what's the big purpose behind what you're doing right is really what's going to make people take their money out
5: well, and telling the story so telling the mission story of the organization is critical, so as you know Elizabeth was talking earlier, she and I did work briefly together, and it's really creating the pitch and your elevator pitch or whatever you know you want to call it, so that everyone on your team, your board members, your volunteers, your staff they're saying the same story out in the community, so if you're at your Sun's soccer game, or if you're at the grocery store, or you are in the elevator, right, with, I don't know, a really big philanthropist here in the Valley, you need to know your story and your pitch and, and what's really going to share the impact of the community with that person that allows them the opportunity to to give, to invest.
3: Well, you also want to make sure your board is involved. So you, when you're setting up a board, you want a successful board, you don't, you know, there's a lot of boards that are set up for the looks and because they have a name. Right. But when you're starting a nonprofit, if your board is does not believe in your mission statement and cannot articulate your mission statement. They're worthless to you because you're doing the double work. It's it's not cost effective for you. But also, if they can't, if you don't have a board that does not give to you, then you don't have a successful board either. But that's another problem that you you need to make sure you're looking at because I know donors will say, "Does your board give? Like how much do they right. give and how much they participate?" So they it's it's very important when you know, we are, we're still looking at the messaging. We're still working on that messaging and, and making sure that we're on the same page. But I always tell them to don't be scripted. Come from your heart. Why did you even want to be a part of this company? Why do you want to work with us? And that's the same message you need to give to others when you're out there. So-
5: Absolutely. And grants often ask, tell us about your board, right? Not only who's comprised of these members, but what do they give? And they're Mm -hmm. talking financial resources as well as time. Mm -hmm. So we always need to say we have 100% financial commitment from our board. Now I'm under the belief, right? It could be a dollar. Depending on your board, it could be a dollar. Some nonprofits here in the Valley, it's an expectation to give $10,000. That may not be the board for you, (laughs) but they're out there, you know, but to say hundred percent financial commitment, from your board members is critical when you are seeking funding from other support.
1: Well, and I imagine it's part of a passion and what's that saying? Like passion trumps talent or something like that. Sometimes like sometimes a board member could just bring a ton of passion, a ton of enthusiasm. They're putting a lot of time They're They're, they're paying in other ways, right?
5: They're making connections, which is is huge. So typically it's a give and get clause. Um, so we're getting, you know, very nerdy right now, but it's a give or get clause.
2: And give so and get or, go or?
5: Give give and oh, okay. get. Um, and so really, you know, it's like $5,000. So I can either write a check for 5000 or I can help get it, which means I'm going to open doors. I'm going to make connections. I'm going to solicit, you know, my friends, my Rolodex, if you will, although that doesn't exist anymore, <laughs> right? Mm. To ask them to invest mm. in the organization. So
2: it's having a true commitment to whatever number that is, getting it, giving it, however you guys find it mm-hmm. and you have to be out there talking. And well, sharing you also information. want
3: to create a sustainable model. You want to yes. be able to sustain yourself besides your donations. So the, the new movement is to make sure that if I give you this money, then tomorrow you're going to be your doors are still going to be open. Right. So you're, you are you want to make sure that you create a model that is can sustain itself if there's no other funding coming in. Well,
5: you diversified did, revenue, correct. right? And I live that model myself. I mean, I, yeah. I got to look into renting out my car, though, because I already do Airbnb. <laughs> <That's great. laughs> so, yeah. but yeah, to diversify your revenue stream. So, again, I do that personally because in 2009, when the rug was pulled out from underneath me, For a full-time job, I was oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And I don't think everybody would pack up and go to Uganda. But, (laughs) right? And so for organizations, how do you diversify your revenue? Whether it's individual donations, events, grants. So there's a whole fundraising chart. And, um, you know, I could nerd out on this all day long, but I won't.
1: (laughs) I love that you can, though. right? So here again, finding a person that has a a passion for what they do. And run with it. You have to be
2: creative. It's almost like you have to find ways that it's actually gonna. I don't know if it's nerdy, but it's definitely you got to think out. You got to just expand, start talking to people, and new ideas. I mean, kids Mm -hmm. get ideas. We all have ideas, but absolutely.
5: And the competition is out there. But you know, how do you set yourself uh, in a different way from your competitors, or as I like to call them, collaborators? Because you can Mm -hmm. absolutely collaborate with what would be your competitor. But to, you know, find ways to really fund your mission is so critical. So. Do you ever find
2: organizations collaborating together on, on missions?
5: Absolutely. And I'm a huge proponent for it. In fact, now there's some funders here in the Valley that require a minimum of three collaborative collaborations, collaborators. <laughs>
2: so they always associate the same partners. thing.
5: <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. yeah. So they're looking for that for a specific uh, grant opportunity. And so it's a minimum of $100,000, but you have to have three partners. That's awesome.
1: Right. Is it a safety thing for them just saying, hey, we're still going to donate all this money, but we also want to make sure that at least a third of it is going to work? Is that kind of their gamble? Like they're playing roulette with that? Or? No,
5: you know... What I think it is, although I haven't heard directly from the funder's mouth, is, um, you know, they get to say, we've now helped 100 agency agencies as opposed to maybe 10. Okay. You know, and so it's a larger impact, a bigger bang for their buck.
3: And it also shows that you're working with the community because, again, mm-hmm. we do have a lot of, um, we have a lot of the same type of nonprofits. They do the same multiple services and that, and it kind of, you know, we you, you're going to see so many if you don't start asking for collaboration. So if you have a collaborate, collaborative partners, then you probably can reduce also the amount of people asking for funding from you as well. And then it shows that you have some trust in the community. To me, from what I've heard from them, is you have a foundation in the community. People know you, and I can trust you as well. So okay.
2: I would think it gets easier, too, because I think if you're pulling from everyone's database, you now have a larger demographic that can actually make a difference in a bigger way so it's just
5: yes that would be ideal unfortunately people's egos often get in the way (laughs) right let's talk about egos they don't want to share contacts they don't want to share best practices they don't want to share period right is it a stinginess greediness what do you i think think it's it's... the fear of the unknown Mm -hmm. you know
3: um i think that from my experience and i because I used to be a consultant as well. So my experience, it's mostly it's my idea or my daughter uh, decided she wanted to help the homeless or she wanted to, and you know, figure out how to cure cancer. And so it's my idea instead of it's like and I've I've worked with people that I said, OK, let's come together with your program. We're all can we're doing the same thing. You're going about it in one way. I'm going to help you in this other way. But it's like, well, but. I spent so much money in this. I did so much for it. And um, so I kind of like I've I've invested a lot. And so they don't it feels like if they're feeling feeling overshadowed and we shouldn't really feel that way with our common goal. What is our common goal? Uh, If you think about if we take all of the programs that are fighting to end cancer and put them into one, how much money we would save in developing what we need and how big that partnership would be. Um, So if you think about it, it is sometimes of our own pride, um, you know, afraid of, you know, uh, if if it's going to work or not. So and then I've worked with people who said, you know, I don't really want to share that idea. How I did that,
1: you know, Mm -hmm. well, nonprofits, people sometimes forget sometimes at the end of the day, it's another business. Right. But mm-hmm. sometimes they hear that name nonprofit and they don't take it seriously or they don't think it's legit or something like that. And it's no different than any other business. Right. Like right. I'm a photographer and I give and get some of my best referrals from other photographers. We have a DJ who sometimes probably gets some of his best referrals and gives away referrals from other people realizing, hey, I'm a specialist in this. This mm-hmm. is the type of photography I do. This is the type of nonprofit that I run or this is the type of client that I'm after. We're all fighting for the same dollar. But at the end of the day, maybe we're not. You know, I, no, or, you have
3: to see it as a business. This yeah. is definitely a business model. And people, even the public, sometimes don't see that that way that a nonprofit should give out. We should be running around nude and give everything away, right. but it is you not don't that. Do that I do that. Unfortunately, <laughs> whoa, I'm learning. Whoa. I'm definitely learning Changing to keep my clothes on. I'm, really, <laughs> so. I'm going to Google it right now because I'm willing to bet there
1: is a nonprofit for that.
2: <laughs> I might right, be, but on that I'm, I'm actually going to bring the topic of family in here because I actually met our third guest today, Ryan on Facebook of all places, Ryan Ingram and I love the name of the company. I don't even know if you did this on purpose, but it's allergic to bosses. So that was awesome. And then I looked at your Facebook page, and not only did it give me, like, great joy to see your family, but the energy that's coming out of you was just phenomenal. And you are definitely headed to some great places. So you've been in the business for 20 years, which is really strange. When I looked at you, you might look 20 years old. So I just want to ask, like, when it comes to nonprofits and this whole arena? Do you feel that they're missing the family touch?
6: Uh, No, I don't. And I just want to say what an honor it is to be on the show with so many awesome, loving, passionate people. I mean, the love that's in this room and and what people are up to is just incredible. Um, I did kind of want to touch on, I I was thinking about, you know, you're talking, there's 26,000 nonprofits in Arizona alone. That just shows you the need Absolutely. Right. That shows you there's a huge need for fundraising and money and how we definitely have a deficiency in that area. And another thing that was really catching my mind is it's like a lot of people are afraid to share out of the poverty consciousness mindset. They're not sharing from the abundance mindset, whereas what what we make happen for other people, the universe will make happen that's for us. Right.
3: Yeah, that's, that's yeah. true. That's true. Right. And yeah. so
6: if everybody could get on the end, you know, touching on some other points you guys were talking about. A lot of people do hear nonprofit and they think, oh, it's a scam. They're just using that as a tax write-off. Right. I, I'm not going to give my money just to someone who's going to keep 90% of the profits and only donate 10%. Yeah. yeah I mean, we hear that all the time. It, being, a, being an artist, I've been working with nonprofits for the last 20 years, and people don't see how the majority of the people in this field are really giving out of their passion to help other people. And well, it, yeah.
1: there's an interesting study and a report that comes out, I don't know if it's yearly or biannually or something like that, but they actually go through a lot of the top nonprofits in the nation and they go back and they divide and they say, okay, if you de- for every dollar that you de- donate to this organization, 72% of it goes back to the cause. And so sometimes people get misled by that too because they're thinking, oh, well, I definitely want to donate to that organization because 72 cents go back to the cause. But then you look at the amount of revenue or the amount of donation that's actually going back, maybe it's not as much as the other organization that only gives back 55%. I would
3: look at outcomes. That's right. the problem that we have there. You can have all the nonprofits <laughs> in the world helping homeless people. If you see 500 homeless people that went through a program and at, in, in for 30 days and 30 days later, you come back and to look at those 500 people and for, hundred and ninety nine are still homeless, we have a problem. So it should be based on outcomes as well as not just, okay, where's exactly all the money? And we should keep track of that. But we have so many nonprofits because we don't have good outcomes.
5: Well, and I'm a part of this group. It's the Vitalist Foundation, and it's essentially here in the Valley. Right. And it's a group of consultants. And we talk about that all the time because there's so much bad marketing, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. and it's like, what is the impact? You know, and you're right. Uh, To your point, it's not that all nonprofits are out there, you know, buying tiny homes for their family to live in. No way, you know, but what's the impact? What's the outcome? And let's look at that and not how much is their overhead.
2: All right, we're going to cover one of my favorite words is Discipline as we break um, because we're not a nonprofit yet. So we're going to give a little time to our sponsors and be right back on discipline that it's actually going to take to actually make this a difference.
4: Change, new days are strange. Is the world the same if love and peace is so strong? Why are the pieces of love that don't belong? Nations dropping bombs, chemical gases filling lungs of little ones with ongoing suffering. As the youth are young, so ask yourself, is the loving really gone so I could ask myself, really, what is going wrong in this world that we living in? People keep on giving. Decisions, only of dividers,
0: each other. Anyone who's ever sat through a long meeting or presentation knows what it's like to experience information overload. And anyone who's ever led one of these meetings knows the challenge of holding the attention of an audience. In such an information-dense society, this is a real problem when we want our message to be heard. Frame the Message, Inc., is the solution to helping your audience capture and retain information quickly and effectively. In a process called live graphic recording, Frame the Message Inc. creates large, colorful illustrations to accompany your presentation and captures the essence of the message of your meeting or event. If you want to avoid hearing this, and instead hear this, then bring Frame the Message Inc. to your next meeting or conference. When it comes to delivering a message, you have a choice in how your audience engages. Make the right one with FrameTheMessageInc.com. That's FrameTheMessageI.N.K.com. Looking for your next event photographer? Everardo Kimi Photography is here to help. Everardo is the official photographer of the Waste Management Phoenix Open, an event that hosts over 1 million people, so you can trust him with your event. You deserve a photographer that is professional, experienced, and skilled. You deserve Everardo Kimi Photography. Contact Everardo at everardokimi.com or 480 382 7226 to make your next event picture perfect.
2: All right, well, welcome back. Um, I'm going to ask Ryan a little bit more about this allergic to the bosses. What happened? What, what happened in your life that actually
4: created that?
6: Yeah, so when I was in college, I was gonna be the first member of our family to graduate college. Everybody, my aunts and uncles and parents had been saving and putting away from my college fund since birth. And um, at the time I was running a mobile DJ business and I was also teaching 17 dance classes a week and I kind of felt like, what am I doing here? I was getting more training from my mentors in the industries where I was actually working, and there, at the time there wasn't anything for me really at ASU to fulfill my passion. I was really just going to school because I thought that's what I was supposed to do. I was in the, this is what you do, conveyor belt mentality. And so I, by grace of one of my mentors, he introduced me to the Landmark Forum, and that totally changed my paradigm. And I, from there, got the mindset to just realize, hey, we are the creators of our own destiny. We have the magic wand to live the life the way that we see fit. So against my family's wishes and everything, I dropped out of school, moved to LA, and you know, 20 years later, I've been inspired and taught thousands of dancers. And really, I was just using dance as a vehicle to inspire and support people to live life with passion and purpose. And um, because you see so many people, they trade their security for their freedom, Mm -hmm. right? They, They take a job they don't like. They're working 60, 70 hours a week for the security of benefits rather than living with passion and purpose. And having that, I mean, it's your one life. So my whole goal in doing this was to not only be able to create that for myself and my family, but inspire other people to do it the same. And over that 20 years talk about an evolving why I've come to realize that my life's purpose is to support and inspire people in living life with passion and purpose and whatever it may be. So I've helped people fire their bosses for the last 20 years and live a life by design, not by default.
5: I love that, but please don't talk to my consultants.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to Robbing keep <laughs> the, yeah. the masters. Okay. So how do people work with you? Because that's, I mean, it's, Wonderful, do you want a younger generation that you're encouraging, or is this something that anyone should just take a look at? Yeah, and you don't I, have to fire your boss, maybe. Yeah, I'm the boss.
6: Yeah, right? It's, it's for anybody, anybody who wants to squeeze more out of life. If you have that burning thing in your heart that makes you feel like, man, I should be doing something else, I'm not built for this. I, I'm not, how did I end up like this? I remember even going to my 10 year high school reunion and seeing the majority of the people there. They were in awe because when I was in high school, I was performing at the talent shows. And they were like, dude, you've managed to make a career out of this. You know, they're selling insurance or whatever. Really, they're not living for their why. They're just doing what they can do to pay the bills.
5: Right. And are they happy?
6: Yeah. Not fulfilled. Maybe they have some security. Maybe they have some health benefits. But it's like living for the weekend. Right. Right. Rather than waking up every day to squeeze the most out of today and inspire some people to take action. And, you know, over the years. And that's what's freed me up to work with nonprofits, to work with Free Arts of Arizona and to to donate my time and, you know, really be an impact and help make a difference. Because if you look, the major like the majority of the people are stuck in the rat race.
5: So the funny thing is the uh, contract I secured in the airport leaving for Uganda was Free Arts of Arizona. (laughs) So there we are full circle.
2: Yeah, exactly. Isn't
6: that awesome? So how does
2: your wife and your family fall in? Because I I see a lot of videos online with you, and she is dynamic. I mean, you guys are a beautiful family.
6: I I definitely married up. Thank you very much. Yeah, my (laughs) wife is um, truly unique. Uh, She decided to become a physician assistant. You know, she got $100,000 worth of debt to secure this high-paying, high-profile job to help people who are sick get healthy. But over the years, she's realized the healthcare system is really a sick care system. There's no healthcare in healthcare at all, right? There's no so, money in healthcare,
3: <laughs> in well, health. <laughs> yeah, there's no money yeah, in health, no, You got mm-hmm. every right? Yeah, and so just
6: from our, you know, cause we're really committed to personal development at the end of the day, like being the best that we can be, the best versions of ourselves that we can be. And over this uh, amount of time, we've really fallen in line and we've um, linked up with some companies and some mentors that have the same mindset. And so right now, what we're doing is we're working with a wearable technology company that is turning healthcare into self-care. Imagine having a dashboard on your wrist that you can monitor your own vital signs 24-7, like we do in our car. You know if your tire pressure's low. You know if you need to get your oil changed. You know if you need to get gas. The check engine light is on, right? We don't have that for our bodies. So... Coming from a, a deficiency in the healthcare organization, we have just been aligning with companies and mentors to help take self-care into healthy living, preventative, healthcare becoming self-care. And if you look at where technology is going, that is definitely the model. So to be on the ground floor with that, it's a perfect opportunity to get people out of the matrix, to, to link up with us, to be at the, at the beginning of the tsunami that's coming. If you, if you knew that in the next two and a half years there was going to be a $34 billion emerging technology market and you could have the number one product in that space, would you want to know more about it? So sure. we wake up every day with that fire because this is going to happen with or without us. So how many people can we help ride that wave? How many people can we break out of the matrix? How many people can we get involved in the support from millennials to 60, 70-year-olds, because how many people can retire now? The average job is three to five years. That's not a career. That's a gig, yeah.
4: mm-hmm.
6: right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so you're seeing households have to have two or three, five different multiple streams of income just to pay the bills, and then there's no time with the family. So our whole purpose and what we're doing now is to bring that family unit together. So we're in a technology age where you can work from home and work because you want to, not because you have to.
5: I love it. I was actually in Park City, Utah, and I didn't tell my team that I was gone, right? This is a little test. (laughs) (laughs) And now I just told myself because they're going to hear it on the radio. (laughs) So I was in Park City for the week, and I took my MacBook, right, and my phone, and I worked for a week, and nothing, like, Nothing blew up. There was no fires. Everything was fine. And now I get to tell my team, like, guess what? You know that week? <laughs> I actually wasn't even in Phoenix, you know? And I love that. And and I believe, too, it's like I want to get up and, and live life the way I want. I integrate my son into that, as I said, not only, like, philanthropically, but seeing the world and traveling. And he and I just did a week-long trip in the beginning of the summer. <laughs> and we did national parks, and we slept in our car. And that's what we love to do, you know? And it was just so much fun to integrate – what we're passionate about and to show that with our families is key. So it's it's definitely something
3: that you have to learn when you're in this process though, because I'm, I'm constantly on a positive, I need to think positive and trying to get that nice vibe going through because it is very difficult. And I think sometimes what people don't understand when people are, if we're looking at a nonprofit part of that, or just recreating your life is that starting over process that Mm -hmm. starting something new process is very stressful, you know, on you, and you feel the, it's it's a constant part of emotions where you feel people are saying, why the hell are you... Oh, I said a bad word. Oh, no, you're Anyways, right. I say? going to say, why do you want tiny homes? We could have like the, you know, all these big mansions, which I'm like, you have your big mansions and you have people committing suicide constantly and they're not happy with themselves. I'm looking for community. And then you have people who are very supportive, but then, so I, I as a nonprofit, when I used to see my clients, I would say, I don't never, I never want to be a nonprofit. It's too much to deal with. Um, but then at the end, you see the rewards of it. And you see the balance. So I think like for myself and, and talking to other people who are starting nonprofits is that what did you start it for and what's your passion and why you're doing it. And that's what's going to keep you safe and whole. And that brings back that brings down the anxiety and it brings you back to um, your your focus goal. So just I would tell anyone who is starting a nonprofit just. Take your time, educate yourself the most, as much as you can. And that's for any business. Any business, you can stress yourself out to the maximum and not enjoy yourself because you just went on vacation and took that time. I would li- I had no, so No, I many- was working. Well, yeah. well, you were working, but I've had so many opportunities to run off and go somewhere and just like, you know, have fun. And I'm like, oh my God, if I leave, that micromanagement come comes inside. That micromanagement comes in. So
2: I have to force myself. It's self-care. a forced care. Self-care. It's funny, this morning you posted something on Facebook. Do you remember what that was? When I said. Uh, <laughs> no <laughs> I said- one said this would be easy. That's correct.
3: That but is correct.
2: There's also the other side of that—that that it yeah. can have. You can have fun.
3: You definitely can, and well, you have to. You have to laugh. I'm starting to laugh at all yeah. of this. It's just like I think the crying and the <laughs> laughing is what actually expands us. <laughs> right. yeah. I scream. I scream a lot, and it really is rewarding to just go out and be like, "There it goes. I just let it out into the universe, and I'm done."
1: Well, Lisa, Good. right before the break, you mentioned the word discipline. And it, we all have to remember again, mm-hmm. it's whether you're starting a nonprofit, you're starting, you for having some. you're starting creative, <laughs> business, you're starting anything. It's that thing of you started it because of a passion, yeah. right? And you can quickly fall into the trap of, I started this to help others, right? Mm-hmm. I created this nonprofit to create housing, to help others, to give them a place to go to, to give them a home. Well, if you devote too much of your time to yourself, what happens to your home life? What happens to your children? What happens to your family in that process? And people forget that, right? Well, you can like, create and, the
3: home for the homeless and become homeless yourself right. if you don't take care of it. Well, you know, that's that back to think. that
2: discipline. But no one said it had to be difficult. No one said it had to be miserable. Like it, You can have all of it and enjoy the time away while you're still getting your work done.
1: And it doesn't have to be 24-7, right? Like in 2015, I had to learn and was forced myself to take a day off because that's all I knew was to work 24-7 and that's just what I did. That's just what was instilled on me. And to finally learn how to take a day off, you know, is that panic moment of, I, then I won't be productive. I can't get things done. And in turn, you find out you're far more productive than you were before.
2: Well, it's listening to those warning signs. I love the fact that Ryan has something that's actually going to be wearable and giving you some indication like it's time like you got to go eat or something like we need that as like we're like grown-up kids
4: you well, know i you have a timer have to, to tell my remind myself I do eat today
3: to make sure that you did because it's getting up in the morning it's going and i really had to say get up in the morning that's the time i really need to be quiet with myself before i start the day and make sure i eat make sure
2: mm-hmm. i take care of myself or i i'm i'm ineffective yeah. I'm, i have I'm, friends that force me to go out because I can stay in and just work all day long yeah. and then I'm miserable. So like Saturday, watch out, I'm gonna be somewhere. I think, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I think we've been too much in the mindset of
3: I'm gonna work right now constantly and then I'll enjoy my life when I'm 70 years old and I can't barely walk. You know, I'm Awful. not saying that people are something because they're very young, but I'm just saying when we, we're, we're in the mindset of do everything now and then live our life when we get ready to retire, this is the time where we need to be enjoying all of the same things that we say we want to do back then. Yes, want to work do and play. Do yeah. it all.
1: Well, I just read an article this morning, in fact, and it was saying that people are pushing their retirement age out even further because they either can't afford to retire, right? And so here again, you could be on your deathbed and you could be sitting here going, "I," you know, on your deathbed, no one really sits there and says, you know what, I worked 80 hours a week. I was a good worker. No. What they say on there is, I wish I would have I seen would have the sunrise that. at Zion National Park. I wish I would have watched the moon rise in Italy. I wish I would have done this. Would, so go do it.
2: I think if anything, we've taught the younger generation right now is not to overwork. Like <laughs> yeah. I just think it's just the opposite. Like right. I think the stress that we created and them seeing it and the divorce rate going up just created more of like, I don't want to do what mom did i, I think they're Dad teaching did. us that right okay. well and we're hating it it's like oh my god how do you have it so easy oh yeah but they've developed a system that actually creates fun right and money
5: i wrote an article in linkedin and it was about work-life balance and how i don't believe in that right it's more of a blend yeah. you have to blend your work and your life together mm-hmm. which is why you know for me as a single mom with a seven-year-old I take him everywhere. I take him to fundraising events. I take him camping and we go everywhere because I want him to see that. And for me, you know, it's truly my legacy. I want to leave that to him, a, a civically engaged child, young man.
2: And thank you for sharing that on social. Like the fact that you have your son at different events. I think I ran into you at an event. You're like, my son's coming too. Right. Like he was just like <laughs> happy to be around you and you were just happy to have him with you. But I think we forget to share those moments, like make, it, make it all work. Like right. you can have your son, your daughter, your wife, all of it, just your, dogs. It. Yes, right? your <laughs> dogs. Yeah. Drinking champagne and, you know, enjoying life. Like, right. That's how it should be. Absolutely.
5: But it is
1: cool seeing like I was on an event with Jarrett too. And Tanner was along and it was for the girls golf of Phoenix. So here again, you know, a lot of times people have that perception of, oh, it's for girls. I can't get involved because I'm a male. Well, hell yeah, you can. Right. And so it was actually cool to see Tanner because he's jumping right in there, too. He's like, cool, I can do this. Or how can I help here? And he he's was... a bit
5: of a feminist. like his mom. Right. Right? <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're going to have to double up the show because this was definitely a wonderful time learning. And I mean, I just just more love in the room. Just awesome. And um, just keep doing what you're doing. Please share as much as possible your mission with others. And hopefully one day they'll get it. You know, even if they don't want to, because I think the world just needs to share and be supportive of one another, no matter where you are. I don't care how much you have or what you don't have. If you can share it, that'd be great. Like my mom taught me, you can make food last in a family. Mm -hmm. Just share it. So with that, I appreciate everyone. Enjoy the wine, Evan Arlo, this week. Enjoy the champagne. uh, I always do. (laughs) And I'll see you next week.
4: the drama, only attracted the things that'll bring the trauma. Overseas, yeah, we trying to stop terrorism, but we still got terrorists here living in the USA, the big CIA, the blood and the Crips and the KKK. But if you only have love for your own race, then you only leave space to discriminate.